This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk. It's rants, and there's a lot of football we want to talk about. Doug Maurice with our tech subscribers. But there's four things that happen with Ohio State football that we have to talk about up top on Tuesday. One is Jackson Smith and Jigba officially will not play. Uh, he's done as an Ohio State Buckeye, will not play in the playoff. The hamstring injury, too much. Number two is Kevin Wilson is gone. Ohio State's offensive coordinator under Ryan Day is the new head coach at Tulsa. What does that mean? I don't know yet if he's going to be here for the playoff or not. He's having a news conference uh, Wednesday, so we'll get a sense of it. Three is C.J. Stroud is one of four Heisman Trophy finalists. He is only the third Buckeye ever to finish in the top four in the Heisman in back-to-back years because they invited four people, so you know he finished in the top four. You guys know Stetson Bennett, Caleb Williams, Max Duggan, the other guys, all four of them quarterbacks. And the last one is the portal opened, and so the portal's going nuts. So we'll talk a little bit about portal stuff, which is just me throwing some names out there, right, and people talk about the portal. And then we'll get into other rants you guys said. Let's start with Jackson Smith and Jigma. Not a surprise. Actually, you know what? I've been saving this one. I keep forgetting to use it. I don't want to say I'm saving it. But we have to say this um, because we have to acknowledge things like this. This is from the 714. It's Narian, Narian, N-E-R-I-A-N-N, from sunny California. Uh, she sent this a couple weeks ago, and I just wanted to make sure we, we talked about it. She says, I just joined the tech subscription, but I've been a listener since March. I'm a California girl through and through, but I bleed scarlet and gray. My stepdad was the reason for this, being that he grew up in Ohio. I lost him in March to prostate cancer. And while this may sound funny, your guys' podcast helps me keep his spirit alive. Thanks for that, along with the great content. Looking forward to the game. She sent this Michigan Week and put X's for the M's. As always, go Buckeyes. Uh, Narian, Narian, I apologize. I did not get to that sooner. Um, It's the best thing sports can do. The best thing sports can do is forge connections. Um, I was going to say in families, but I would almost say between parents and kids, right? I mean, I think I, I at the top, top, top of the list, it's kind of why we do it. Drive ourselves nuts with other stuff, other stuff otherwise. So, um, Narian, sorry for the loss of your stepdad. And it, it is a wonderful thing that he passed this on to you and that you feel that. And when you think about the Buckeyes, that you feel connect, a connection to someone who's no longer with us. That's that's why we care about sports. Sorry for your loss. Thanks for being part of this. Let's talk about Jackson Smith and Jigma. So there's a couple things here. One is the continuing question of how what seemed like, for lack of a better word, a typical hamstring injury in the opener turned into this. 
And that is not really about Jackson Smith and Jigba from the 480. The Ohio State medical staff botched the JSN situation from start to finish, and there needs to be serious questions about what happened. Having him come back what was too early twice and then never traveling with the team after that, the worst and most frustrating part is now we get to today where he announces he won't be healthy enough to play and will move on, but nobody will look at him not being healthy. He's a, quote, quitter. This has, and that person saying that's not fair. This has to fall on the staff, and it ruins the Ohio State legacy of what could have been an all-time great. So um, we had talked about this before. This is not the first time, and I think it's fair. We don't know that a person did something wrong, but the result was poor. So that resolves. That means we need to resolve to ask questions about it. From the 412, I've held it in for months because I frankly didn't want to spend another second talking about someone who wasn't on the field. But uh, many others have stated in the past, I need this cathartic release since it's been simmering so long. Not to use your dreaded D word, but I feel like we deserve some accountability slash explanation on how a hamstring injury that didn't even require surgery could keep someone sidelined so long. Is it Mickey Mirati and his strength and conditioning team, the medical staff, JSN himself, or something else? I find myself feeling angry with JSN, but it doesn't seem justified. So I try to channel the anger towards Mickey, but that's not justified either. Give me somewhere to direct my displeasure, please, from the 412. We can't now. And it's one of those things you have you have to have priorities, right? When we did when we talked to Ryan Day on Sunday, they just made the playoff. What went wrong with the hamstring situation? was not the right time to get a good answer to that. But there will be a time to get a good answer to that. And it's the next time, because now it's over, and it's the next time. From the 513, who in the world is responsible for JSN missing basically the entire year with a supposed hamstring injury? I don't want to blame JSN, but something about this stinks, and I'd like to know what happened. So this is this is kind of a, a thing that people are expressing. There are some people frustrated with the player and i and i I didn't pull those because i don't think we're not going to go after a a young man who is just trying to do you get one shot at this you got to look out for number one and by all accounts i do want to pull some things by all accounts like everybody feels good about this guy everybody in that building feels good about jackson smith and jigba everybody in the jackson smith and jigba family feels good about that building so we there's not and um, there's great love being expressed on Twitter. I follow Jackson's mom and dad and his brother on Twitter. Jackson put out a statement on Twitter. They are expressing things about thank you to Ryan Day, thank you to Brian Hartline, thank you to Keenan Bailey, thank you to the people at Ohio State for developing my son. Brian Hartline and Keenan Bailey responding online saying what a pleasure it's been, how much we love this guy, good luck to him, parents chiming in. This is a good relationship. This guy was on the sideline at the Michigan game there on that day for his teammates, and we just have to treat this as a medical thing. Um, from the 614, a rant on a friend's behalf because I don't know where I fall. He says JSN sitting out the playoffs is a sign of a culture problem, cites examples of J- Jalen Waddle playing for Bam in the championship game and Blake Cormick attempting to play for Michigan last week. Both of those teams beat Ohio State and other coaches, mainly Michigan, keep talking about teams' mindset of soft and finesse and almost imply a culture problem. Ryan Day's do- tone kind of changed over the course of the year about the situation, hopeful and implying working him back, then all of a sudden vague, unsure, and annoyed by questions. Is this a thing? He's made his NIL money this year, or is it just bad injury luck? He tried to come back and it just wasn't going to work. So um, this is bad injury luck, and there's there's two things that people cite in a situation like this. 
there's one that usually gets cited, which is the Nick Bosa situation, which is Nick Bosa tears a muscle in his torso in the TCU game in week three, and then decides, I am not going to be able to get back. At, at that point, the thing that, that as I was, was portrayed to me is that maybe could have made it back for like a bowl game. But at that point, it's week three, and to try to do that on a maybe, he decided, I'm going to cut bait here. And and again, from what I was, my understanding of the situation, that surprised the Ohio State coaches. They were kind of devastated by that news. And then Nick Bosa went to California and started working out for the NFL draft. And Ohio State had defensive problems that year, but they were going to have defensive problems once Nick Bosa got hurt. He wasn't going to magically... And, and he was going to be out for a very long time. That was a very real injury. And they really, really missed him. And then Nick Bosa went to California, trained for the draft, was the number two pick, and has arguably been one of the best defensive players in the NFL since he got there. So Nick Bosa made a good call there. But that is the comparison that comes up. And Nick Bosa, the way he decided it, his injury, that it was not lingering. It was like, this is a thing. It's I'm out at least this long, and that time frame just basically ends it for me. JSN's been lingering. JSN's not in California. Nick Bosa, I remember when Ohio State played in the Rose Bowl, Nick Bosa came to a Rose Bowl practice. It was like, hey, Nick Bosa, because he was living in California, working out there, had been gone, like had not seen the guys. Jackson Smith and Jigba was at the Michigan game, man. Now, he was out, I think, other times getting treatment, didn't travel at times. You take up a travel roster spot, whatever. But he was at the Michigan game there with his guys, lingering, right? Different situation. So that this ended this way now, um, the idea of like, hey, you know, he if, if you would portray this somehow as you think somebody who leaves is bailing on their team, like he's he's not getting much of a head start. JSN is. This is not leaving in September. So it's a different situation than that. And I'm not, again, Nick Bosa did right. Set himself up for great success. So I think the comparison that has come up for me is Marshawn Lattimore. And we, you guys all know this, Marshawn Lattimore's hamstring exploded when he was here. So he registered as a freshman, 2014. 2015, he's trying to play hamstring injury that went back to high school just like could not do it. And they were nervous about his hamstrings the rest of his career. There's quotes from Kerry Combs back then saying like, I'm nervous every time he cuts it loose and runs. I'm pretty sure Marshawn Lattimore had hamstring surgery at some point when he went to the NFL. That was a question that lingered over him. Now he went in the top 15 of the draft and was the defensive rookie of the year in the NFL. And has been like a four-time pro bowler since then. So it all worked out, but that is an example of a hamstring injury. Cause I think the lay people, that's what we are. That's what most of you are. You, you think hamstring is like, well, it's not an ACL. It's not an Achilles. What's up. And this can happen like this. This can just happen that you can't get past it. So Marshawn Lattimore, it happened early in his career, happened in year two. And then he really had to fight to get himself. They, he wore compression pants. They had like a monitoring chip, that they tried to measure like everything going on with his body to make sure he didn't exert himself too much. They really were like careful with him trying to get him through that preseason in 2016. And then he played as well as any cornerback in the country, but he lost a year. He lost an, an entire season to a hamstring issue. So Jackson Smith and Jigba is not the first person to lose an entire season to a hamstring issue. So I just think it's unfair you have family and coaches 
communicating in a positive way with good feelings. He made a great contribution to Ohio State last season. And I just would implore people to not view this as a culture issue, to not view this as anybody giving up on his team. If there are medical questions about why did this get so bad, that I think we have to ask about. So I just... That guy was that guy's a great player. And the other thing is this. He's, of course, going. He always knew he wasn't going to come back to do it again. I think that his short area quickness, his explosiveness in the middle of the field, his ability to turn an eight-yard play into an 80-yard touchdown, option routes, um, his ability to sort of sink into a zone, to beat man coverage, to find a way to get open, and then absolutely explode with the ball in his hands. That's what you want in a slot receiver. So I think Garrett Wilson had a lot of that too. When you when they moved Garrett Wilson inside, you, that was part of the rationale. Short area quickness, explosiveness. And then Garrett also has like another gear on the outside that he is everything. He can go inside and out. I do think Jackson probably is more fit for the slot. But I saw Mike Renner, who's a PFF guy, saying he doesn't think Jackson's film is so strong that he's a guaranteed first rounder. So if any idea of like, ah, he's a first rounder, he just bailed, it's like there are some people who are questioning that. Now, I don't question it personally. I think the film he put down last last year and the skill set, hands, route running, explosiveness, intuition, great slot receiver skill set. And I think Jackson will be good. I think Jackson will be good. You know, we kind of got to a, a place at times on this podcast that like, oh, well, we thought Chris and Garrett were great, but Jackson's better than that. And then we thought Jackson was great, but Marvin's better than that. You're seeing what Garrett Wilson's doing in the NFL. Like, I don't, I'm not a thousand percent convinced that like everybody, the next guy's going to be better than Garrett Wilson at the NFL level. Um, Cause I think Garrett was both, but I think Jackson is an ideal slot receiver, but I think in the end he has to go now. He's not going to come back to try to improve his draft position, but there are people saying he might've hurt himself. So this was not some strategic thing of like, ah, the heck with it. Now, Rashawn Slater at Northwestern, Micah Parsons at Penn State. Like the list goes on of guys who opted out in that COVID year, but guys, Jamar Chase, right? LSU. Guys opt out, don't play, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So there are people saying, you know, the draft analyst saying, I think it might matter for Jackson. This was a hamstring thing. So we'll ask about that. And it it did matter. That short area explosiveness, the passing offense would have been far better with Jackson Smith and, and Jigba. The difference between on um, between him being there and with two hyper being there with two other hyper elite receivers is monumental from the 419, right? That you add him to the other things makes them better. And I do think we had a, a mecca question from the 614. You mentioned a week or so ago how Ryan Day had been planning uh, extensively on using Jackson more creatively, making him the focal point of the 2022 offense. My question, Rand, is what is stopping them from utilizing Emeka Buka in the same creative way? Both were highly ranked and tatted recruits who instantly performed when given the opportunity. I just think the skill sets are slightly different. I think Emeka is definitely a guy that you want to get on the move. And we saw, I mean, we talked about like, hey, could you use him? He ran the ball in high school some. I think the thing about Jackson is I think he goes zero to 60 in this in the snap of a finger. A mech, I think, is not a, quite that explosive. He's like smoother. You want to catch him on a crossing route on the run. Jackson, you can catch flat-footed. And I think, Garrett, you could do that too. Kind of guy, you can run like a little eight-yard curl in the middle of the field, catch him flat-footed, not moving, and then boom. And so that ability, I just think Emeka and Jackson are different enough players. And I do think the year of experience matters. 
but that Ameka can work the middle of the field. And this this Ohio State passing offense works best with a guy that you can really work in the middle of the field, right? We saw it with Jet with KJ Hill and Paris Campbell in their very specific ways. We saw it with Garrett Wilson. We saw it with Jackson Smith and Jigba. And Ameka's just a little different. I think Ameka's maybe a little bit more like like Paris and KJ, um, which is not the explosiveness as much from the standstill. So I just, I don't know. They're just a little different. They're just a little different as players. And so I think there is a specificity to Jackson's skill set that wound up being missed. Doesn't mean Emeka is not great because he is, but it's just a little bit of a different style. And I do think Jackson's ability, because the thing about them is they're just, you saw Mecca got free. The first touchdown I get Michigan is a Mecca running across the formation against man beats it. Um, you you also see like a lot of drop seven, drop eight coverage that people will play against Ohio State in a zone where they're not trying to match up. And then it's like, find the area. That's where I think Jackson would help you. Some of this stuff where it's drop eight, you saw that. That was the, that was the second touchdown. It wasn't a touchdown. The second red zone trip against Michigan, the one we talked about a lot, third and eight, drop eight, three guys in the route. One of them is a Mecca. And it's like a Mecca's running this round. He's trying to get free. He's got two guys on him. There's nowhere to go. I just think the style of player Jackson is, is Jackson just maybe breaks off the route, reads it, goes to where the opening is. And that is not a criticism of anybody else. It's just, I think, an innate skill. And it's why Steven wrote about it before the year, that CJ and Jackson kind of had that connection. So I hope that explains it. But we'll ask about the hammy. We will. I, I would just not... I would try to have good feelings about Jackson Smith and Jigba, who right this very moment is the single season all-time Big Ten passing yards leader ever, 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 ever. Pretty good. Let's talk about Kevin Wilson. So Kevin Wilson is leaving um, to be the head coach at Tulsa. I don't know if he is going to stay for the playoff or not. Tom Herman in 14 got the head coaching job at Houston. And stayed. And they won the national championship. Which is like the exact same situation. Right? Like the same level of school that you're going to. You're a four seed going against an SEC team. The difference is Tom Herman was actually the play caller then. So that would have hurt. That would have been potentially devastating. Because Urban wasn't calling plays. And Ed Warner wasn't calling plays. That was Tom Herman running that show. Kevin Wilson doesn't run the show here. Ryan Day does. So... If Kevin Wilson's not here, and maybe that would go into consideration, like, you know what, we we like you, Kevin, we've appreciated you, but like we can survive in a way that they couldn't have survived without Tom Herman. But I don't know. But he also just might stay. And I know Urban that kind of said back then, I think Tom Herman is like, well, what better boost for your program than like, hey, our head coach just won a national title. Like maybe you want to stick around and do that. And And Kevin Wilson, I mean, might want that opportunity. He wants the opportunity to be a head coach. I think he's 62. I'm not shocked this happened because you always knew he was pursuing it. Again, he came here. He had been the head coach in Indiana, came here after he lost that job at Indiana, not for on-field performance, but for some uh, questions about his handling of players. And then, like, you go through it here, and Ohio State vetted him. We had some questions when they decided to hire him. Um, And, you know, now you're not the head coach anymore. You're not in charge of, like, hey, there's a guy trying to play through an injury or something. You're just the offensive coordinator and the tight ends coach. So it worked out. He did his job here. And Tulsa made this decision. So now the question is, like, what happens next? So is this a loss? Yes, it's a loss. I think Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day have worked really well together. They came at the same time. And they were kind of like a – they weren't a package deal, but it was almost like, man, you got, like, two dudes here. Um, But Ryan Day was always, like, was the play caller. So Kevin was a 
offensive lineman himself as a player, was an offensive line coach for 10 years, head coach other positions, but more run game here. And not that he can't do quarterbacks, because he certainly can, but Ryan is a passing game guy. Not that Ryan can't do run game. But I think that it wasn't like you do one, I do the other totally. But um, I think Ryan really has a handle on how he wants to throw the ball here. And then Brian Hartline right now is sort of like the second voice for the passing game. And then when it came to the run game, it was Kevin Wilson, Justin Fry, Tony Alford, right? Tight ends coach, offensive line coach, running backs coach. But Kevin Wilson's voice was real there. It was pretty loud, pretty loud in that discussion. And he often acted more like an like a co-offensive line coach than he did a tight ends coach. I always kind of joke. It's like, eh, is he really the tight ends coach? It's like the offensive coordinator, and he hangs out with the linemen a lot. So the first question is losing him for the playoff. They could use him, but if he's not here, it's not devastating the way Herman would have been. Beyond that, in the future, you have to pre- prepare to lose a guy like that. Now, would it create an opportunity to shuffle? Could Brian Hartline become the offensive coordinator? We certainly, and I didn't pull them all. There have been some people, you know, it's one of those things on Hartline. People don't want to lose him. So Cincinnati hired Scott Satterfeld, the Louisville head coach. Brian Hartline had, had interviewed at Cincinnati, had said a couple of days ago, I'm not going anywhere. I don't know what Hartline knew, but if you get an impression like, oh, they're they're going big. They're going, Cincinnati's going to the Big 12. They hired an ACC head coach, current head coach, who had been a head coach previously. So he's he's been a head coach at two stops. So it's like Kerry Combs talked to him. He was the interim for like a week there. Kerry Combs talked with him. Brian Hartline talked with him. But that's not where they were going. They were not looking for an up-and-comer or a first-time head coach at the college level. They went bigger than that. So once Brian, it's like, once like the AD's thinking that way and he can get a guy, then Hartline's not going to be in that mix no matter what Hartline does. So could you make Hartline the OC now? Some people are like, make Brian Hartline the offensive coordinator. You got to keep him here. And some people are like, I don't know if it's qualified. Are you sure? So he's 36. He's been a really good position coach for five years. I don't think it would be an unreasonable jump. But the thing is, is we have talked about, should Ryan Day give up play calling? My impression is that is not happening now. I think there can be a reevaluation in the offseason of a lot of things. And when you lose a guy like Kevin Wilson, that can add to that reevaluation because you can start shuffling. My impression is that's not changing yet, meaning like next year. So the head, so the OC you bring in then, if the OC is not going to call plays, it limits your pool. Kevin Wilson came because he had just lost a job in a, in a rough situation. And, you, you know, Ohio State, that's a great job for him. And he wasn't going to like that. Well, what do you mean I'm not the play caller? It's like, listen, man, I, I need somewhere soft to land. But you could make Brian Hartline the offensive coordinator and wriggle that some way. I, I've told you guys, I just do think Ryan Day really likes Keenan Bailey, who's basically like the assistant wide receivers coach, has like a special advisor to the head coach title. He's in that offensive meeting room. He works with Ryan Day on stuff. You could finagle stuff there. And I don't know if this leads to other finagling. Justin Fry. You know, certainly could take a larger role. Tony Alford, you know, I think has the run game coordinator title, could take, you know, continue that role and and be a loud, loud voice in the run game. But also, so so if Hardline becomes the OC, it's still going to be Ryan Day calling it, which it was before. But you're not going to get, like when Lincoln Riley got hired from East Carolina to Oklahoma back in the day by Bob Stoops, he was coming to call plays. You're not going to get, if if that's not what they're doing, and it is my impression that that's not what's going to happen, that they're that Ryan Day's not turning it over, 
then you're not going to get the hottest guy on the market because the hottest guy on the market wants to call plays. Because guess what? Calling plays is fun. But Hardline, who's here, maybe wants a salary bump, maybe wants a responsibility bump, even more involved in the play calling, even more involved in, in the game planning, but yet it's Ryan Day's show. I think that could make sense. You know, and as I said, Urban Meyer, like around Hartline's age, became a head coach without ever being a coordinator. So it enhances, I think, Brian Hartline to be a coordinator. And I think Ohio State, I think he would be qualified because he's not the play caller. And again, the guy's pretty good at what he does. He's arguably among the best position coaches in the country. So even if he was the play caller and he's never done it before, right? I mean, I guess ideally, would you like, well, go call plays on a lower level and then make a jump up? Probably. But I do think that could be where they go. And again, I'm all for fresh blood. So maybe they go outside. But you you just have to understand, like when Mike Yurcich came, Mike Yurcich was a play caller at uh, Oklahoma State. And then he came here as the quarterback's coach and wasn't the play caller. And it was like one year of it. And it was like, because he sort of, he wanted more. He's a play caller at Penn State now. Because James Franklin's not the play caller. So, like, Ryan Day had a good situation here for a while where it was like he was a play caller as the OC with Kevin Wilson by his side, and then he became the head coach and Kevin Wilson stayed. But, like, you're not going to get a Kevin Wilson quality who's not looking for a soft landing spot. So um, I think they'll be okay. You Nobody's shocked. So good luck to Kevin Wilson, and everybody's thinking good thoughts about that. He gets the opportunity. We had always joked, Kevin Wilson, man, when he got with the media, he talked like a head coach. You could tell he wanted it. You could tell he had that in him. And still had it in him. He he had not reached the point of like, oh, I had my shot. I'm good. You know, and a guy who's a good offensive mind. He was a good guy to have in the room. No doubt about it. Really good guy to have in the room. But they'll go about replacing it. And again, I think I think Ryan Day is going to keep calling plays. So that's that's just like there, there were a lot of heartline rants. And they were like some one way and some the other. And so I kind of just amalgamated all of them. And, and if you guys sent it in. I saw it. I saw it for sure. But let's talk about uh, the Heisman. So one of the things, so so I did my Heisman ballot on, uh, it was due at five o'clock. I don't even know how they do it. It's Deloitte. I, so there's, there's, it's like a, what are those firms? You're just a firm that counts stuff? I don't know. It's accounting firm? Not not accounting. A counting firm. So they're the counters. They count all the stuff up. Do they do the, the Oscars, I think, too? I don't know. So they counted up. It was due at 5 p.m. And they sent like this, all this fancy like robots checking to make sure you are who you are. And you had to go through like a 30-step process to put your thing in. But then you type in the names. You type in three names. Three points for first, two for second, one for third. You type in three names and that's it. So it was due at 5 o'clock and they announced the finalists at 6.45. So I spent all day Monday like going through it because I couldn't figure it out. I... I probably considered like nine people seriously, but I think there's probably legitimately like 12 to 14 people that you could make a reasonable Heisman case for. Um, I tried to write down some of them. Certainly, I think the four guys who were there uh, are not a shock. C.J. Stroud, Ohio State quarterback, Caleb Williams, USC quarterback, Max Duggan, TCU quarterback, and Stetson Bennett, Georgia quarterback. They certainly, I think, absolutely deserve to be in that. Hendon Hooker from Tennessee, who got hurt in the second last game of the year, but was fantastic for Tennessee, absolutely deserved. That certainly got some votes. I would imagine he might have finished fifth. Uh, Bijan Robinson, the Texas running back, I think deserved that. Blake Corum, the Michigan running back, certainly deserved that. I think it hurt him that Michigan won its two biggest games of the year. 
beating Ohio State and then winning the Big Ten championship game. Certainly Penn State in there also, but like without him, um, which led me to, i not even joking, Olu Oluwatimi, the Michigan center, I think is would be representative of something. That I think that Michigan offensive line, when you see the way that Donovan Edwards played in Blake Corm's absence, is it, well, the backs are great, not to take anything away from them, but is it is it the line? And that guy's a center. He's as good as any center in the country, and you can see what he does. So it's hard to vote for a center for the Heisman, but I think it's the thing. Like, you think about that kind of thing. Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle for Georgia, who's probably Georgia's best player. That's the really hard thing here. It's I think you, you wind up with some teams where the quarterback is not the best player. But when you think, like, the not the best player on the team. Are we sure Max Duggan is TCU's best player? No. Are we sure C.J. Stroud is Ohio State's best player? No. Are we sure Stetson Bennett is Georgia's best player? I'm sure he's not. Are we sure Caleb Williams is USC's best player? Probably. Probably. Maybe defensive guy, but probably. Are we sure Hendon Hooker is Tennessee's best player? Probably. But you could go to Corm. You go to Jalen Carter. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. at least deserved a thought. Right when you're trying to, and you could do the same thing with Jalen Hyatt and and Harrison and Hyatt are two of the three finalists for the Bletnikoff Award. But you look at Tennessee and Ohio State; they're the two best passing offenses all year. Why do we go to the quarterback? Well, it's harder to play quarterback than it is to play receiver. But maybe those receivers were better at their job than the quarterbacks were. But we can't pretend like it's it's not ridiculous to vote for the quarterbacks of the best teams. I know people think that that you can like it's kind of simpleton thinking, but it's not crazy. We all acknowledge quarterback is the most important position in sports, so I think it's reasonable that that happened. And then uh, Michael Penix Jr. from Washington, who put up monster stats at Washington, they were a really good team. Finished tied for second in the Pac-12, you know, tiebreaker away from making the Pac-12 title game. Certainly in the mix as well. I don't feel this is some terrible injustice with the four they got to. And I will say, I started the day with a guy who I thought was going to vote number one, who I wound up not voting for at all. And I changed my mind in evaluating. And, 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 and the thing to me, again, it's sort of three things. I think like the quarterback of the best team, like what's make your best Heisman case, make your best Heisman pitch in 15 words or less, the quarterback of the best team. I mean, if we go back through the years, that's the best pitch, I think. And it just is complicated because Stetson Bennett's a former walk-on. J.J. McCarthy, they didn't ask him to do, like, the two best teams did not produce great Heisman candidates because Georgia's a defense-first team with a former walk-on quarterback. And Michigan was a running team who then lost its running back for the Ohio State game in the Big Ten Championship. And so it's hard to figure out. So it's less obvious. All right, well, who's the third team? Well, the, it's TCU. The quarterback's Max Duggan. Okay, he's a finalist. Who's the fourth team? It's CJ Stroud and Ohio State. Okay, he's a finalist. Caleb Williams, whatever they finished, but like they were in it. They didn't finish fifth, but they, they had it in their hands. And then he gets hurt and is limping on a hamstring through it. Okay, that makes sense to me. So, you know, I, I just said like, it's, to me, it's not a year for Heisman hot takes because Nobody calls Heisman voters dumber more often than I do. But this was hard. I thought this was difficult. This might have been the most difficult ballot I think I've ever had to do. And I said, like, there wasn't really anybody I was super hepped up to put number one, but I think I could have put six different guys number two, but they don't allow you to vote. Nobody number one and a six-way tie for second. That doesn't fit on the ballot. So, you know, I think Caleb Williams will win, 
because you just see things and you see straw polls and the way people talk. But I, I think if Caleb Williams wins as a guy who, with a playoff spot on the line, his team blew a 17-3 to lead, like, it's not a great case. But who has a better case? C.J. Stroud lost his biggest game. Max Duggan and TCU was the Big 12 championship the biggest game? Well, they won a bunch of other ones along the way, and they lost that game and still got in, but they lost their last game. Like, the three... Three of the four guys who were finalists lost their last game. And then the fourth guy is like, well, they won. But, like, where on the list is Stetson? Now, he, he has played very well. He has a good statistical case. He is a really good athlete. He can move around. He can make plays out of structure. When he's in rhythm, he can make some throws, too. But, you know, he's also not Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or Joe Burrow or, you know, a million other guys who have won the Heisman. So, um, it's a weird year. I'm just not, I, I just think I'm, I'm not yelling at anybody because having gone through the process, I know how difficult it is. So good luck to everybody. Congratulations to CJ for making it. You know, I, th- I certainly think CJ has a case. I do think, uh, I mean, statistically he, he was good against Penn state and Michigan, good in the biggest games. And when you look statistically for CJ, um, you know, his quarterback rating is like first in the country. I think he is uh, first in the country, tied for first in touchdown passes. Pretty sure that's right with 37. Caleb Williams and CJ both have 37. Caleb Williams did it in one more game. Uh, CJ's passer rating is higher. CJ has a higher yards per attempt Hendon, uh, than, than Williams. Hendon Hooker uh, was tied for first at 9.5. CJ was third at 9.4 yards per attempt, which is like a, a Caleb Williams was sixth at 9.1. Um, Hooker and Williams both run more than CJ, who doesn't really run at all. Uh, and then just like yards per game, CJ, they just didn't throw it as much this year. So CJ's yards per game really fell off. He was at 278 this year, which is 17th in the country. Last year, he was 369, which was third in the country. So he threw for, you know, 92 fewer yards per game. And and not that's that that's not the end all be all because they they did they did things differently this year, but a statistical case is part of it, and it's just it's a shorthand, and so that was not overwhelming for C.J. Stroud. And then you lose the Michigan game, and it's like okay. And I'll tell you what, though, I was going back and I'm watching C.J.'s best plays, and I'll tell you that guy puts the ball where it needs to be. And if you watch, you watch other people's best plays: Hendon Hooker, Caleb Williams. A lot of that stuff, there's a lot of, there's a decent amount of that stuff that's out of structure. Throwing on the run after avoiding a sack or running. Almost all of CJ's stuff is in structure and it's because it's identified and it's in rhythm and it's out of his hands. And when, for his best plays are right on the receiver's hands. And if you think, oh, all he does is throw to receivers who are wide open, there are the best plays, best throws that some other quarterbacks made this year are to wide open guys down the field. There are a lot. You go start watching CJ throws. There are a lot of throws where the guy is not that open and CJ puts it right in the bucket, right where it needs to be. And so I think you can go back and forth with CJ, but if you think this is a guy who's just operating an offense with great receivers and, and a lot of people could do it, if you watch his the throws he makes... I don't think a lot of other people could do it. And I'm not sure anybody could do it the way he does it. Now, could they get out of the pocket and scramble and maybe make some plays? Absolutely. They've done that. 
but could they do it in rhythm, diagnose, bang, boom, balls out, balls there? I think he does that better than anybody in the country. So when you make that case and there's a, and they're in the playoff and he's the quarterback and he's the captain of the ship, I think you make a compelling case for New York. So congratulations to CJ uh, for getting there on that. Last thing we'll talk about. Oh, the one thing about Marvin. Someone asked about why isn't Marvin a Heisman candidate? From the 740, it's funny that Marvin Harrison Jr. never got more run as a serious Heisman contender. We supposedly live in an era of enlightened analysis where we're beyond looking at just counting stats. And in a year where no player took the trophy by the horns with counting stats, and also in an era where it seems like the media at large is begging for a non-quarterback to win the award, that the player who most considered to be the best receiver in college football never got a serious consideration when people as prominent as Joel Clatter saying he's already the most talented player in college football. It seems like uh, it's not like he has no stats. He actually had an excellent year from a stats perspective. He looks like an alien and he has the name recognition that you all you could ever want. What is the actual reason Marvin Harrison Jr. has no Heisman juice besides a collective shoulder shrug from all involved? I don't get it from the seven four zero. So, um, a lot of 100-yard games from Marvin. You know, the stats the stats do matter. And it is an uphill case for a receiver. And so Marvin, when you look at the raw stats, and, and I don't wanna I don't wanna say it's only raw stats, but I also don't want to say like, well, the raw stats don't matter at all. He's ninth in the nation in receiving yards per game at 96.4. He has 12 touchdowns. That's tied for fourth. You know, he has fewer receiving yards than Charlie Jones at Purdue. He has the same number of touchdowns. He has a higher um, yards per catch, so his is pretty good, plus more than 16 yards. It was, like, very good. I, I think people got a little out over their skis, frankly, and we kind of talked about that. Like, Marvin Harrison, all like he's the best player in college football. He's excellent. And I think he'll come into next year with a case, just like Jackson Smith and Jigba came into this year with a case. But I do think when you're not a quarterback, you have to build up to it more. And, and like, I'm not saying that as like, well, I would never vote for you as a receiver because you didn't build up to it. I'm just saying, like, realistically, when you look at the voting body, I think you have to build up to it more. But you'll also find people in Tennessee who would, who are going to think it's outrageous if Marvin Harrison Jr. wins the Blitnikoff. They think Jalen Hyatt, who's Tennessee's highest producing receiver, should be that. So, you know, do I think Jalen Hyatt should win the Heisman? No, I don't. I thought it was Hendon Hooker. And so you you, you go to the quarterback – um, and it is a complicated thing to be a quarterback. And I know it's most outstanding player, but when I think about it, um, so I just, I just, I think you kind of know you in your heart could say, well, he's the best player. Just vote for the best player. And it's like, okay, well, like, I don't know when Quentin Nelson was the best guard in college football, did you think he should win the Heisman? Right. I mean, it's cause it's not just, it's really not just the best player. Like it's not. Like just some positions being good at it matters more. And so, I mean, just quarterbacks, quarterback. So I, I just, I don't think anyone has to apologize that Marvin Harrison Jr. is not in New York, but um, you know, if he goes through the roof next year with the stats, I mean, he'll have, he'll have a case, but you've got, when you're a receiver, I think you've got to be through the roof these days. So um, in the end, again, I thought of, so I, I do think being a very important player for a very good team, matters to me unless you are so special we've never seen it before lamar jackson so i do think that like when you th- looked at the players on the good team so many of them like lost their last game or had weird situations it opened me more to like well maybe this is just a fantastic individual player year 
And let's think of it that way. And that like brings Bijan Robinson into the conversation, right? Because it's like, all right, well, that guy. And that would bring Marvin into the conversation. Forget everything else. Just like baller. Who just, when you watch him, you're like, my gosh, there's nobody like that guy. So I was down that path for part of my voting. I really was thinking about that. That's why I was talking about, you know, Jalen Carter at Georgia and Oluwole Watimi at Michigan and B. John Robinson and Marvin Harrison Jr. And then maybe that would have been my top four. And then you start thinking again, it's like, okay, well, and then you start watching these quarterbacks and these quarterbacks make, they make game changing plays on the regular, right? You got to acknowledge that quarterback's hard. So then you start swinging back to the quarterback. It's like, well, I swing too hard back to the quarterback. Do I need to go down the middle more and like integrate both of them? And then I always do think about the story of the season. So what's the story of the season? And no, maybe you don't have to vote like this, but I do. This is how I choose to vote. I view the Heisman differently. It's more. It's more than just being good. It's 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 something. It's something more. And I I think you know what I mean. So what's the story of the season? Well, you think about the guys who were who went to New York. What's the story of the season? Well, the revival of a dormant USC program. That's one of the stories of the season. As Caleb Williams is there. TCU out of nowhere making the playoff. Well, that's one of the stories of the season. Max Duggan is there. Ohio State, right? Passing offense of Ohio State. Can it carry them to the playoff? They lose at the end, but they still make the playoff. Oh, the quarterback for Ohio State makes it. I could see that as a story of the season. And then what's the other story of the season? The defending national champions are the undefeated number one seed. How do you represent that? Well, you could with a defensive tackle. You go, go Jalen Carter. You go Brock Bowers at tight end, right? You could try to... Or you could just pick the quarterback. And is he the best quarterback? No, he's not. But is he representative of something? And on behalf of like, can you cut this trophy up and give it to the 20 other great players on Georgia? Like, I think you have to be able, like, it's okay to acknowledge that like Georgia's awesome and they don't have a great Heisman candidate, but they're the best team. They've been the best team for two years and they haven't had a Heisman candidate. So finally people are like, I don't care if they don't have a Heisman candidate. I'm going to vote for the quarterback anyway. I think in this situation, that's not unreasonable. And if Stetson Bennett would win it, you'd be like, why did that guy win the Heisman? And you'd be like, because uh, his team went undefeated um, as defending national champs, that they lost one game the year before, but then won the national championship, and they came back and ran the table and won back-to-back national championships, and he was the starting quarterback? Oh, okay. Is he the greatest quarterback of all time? No. His team sure won a lot, though. Okay. So, like, I think we, we all get it. So I'm not outraged because I thought it was difficult. I, I don't think Setson Bennett's going to win. So I think Caleb Williams is going to win. I'm not saying who I voted for. I'm saying, like, looking the way people talk and when you just start analyzing things. I th- My guess is that Caleb Williams is going to win and, like, it's going to be not a great winner when you think about it because people are going to look at it and say, well, how did he win? What about this and this and this? And you're like, yeah, I know. But nobody else rose up. So that's where we are. When we come back, we'll talk about the portal, get to a few more rants next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Doug Lamarie is back on Buckeye Talk. You can go listen to the College Football Survivor Show this week. 
uh, Shahan J. Haraja and I on the bonus episode there. We're going to have a full Heisman breakdown of what we think of everything. We also talked about the playoff matchups there. You can go read cleveland.com slash OSU. I don't know if you guys are um, into the Bengals or the Browns, but they're playing each other this week. And so we have the Orange Brown Talk podcast, and we also have the Strictly Stripes podcast. One's about the Browns, one's about the Bengals. They're both from cleveland.com. You guys could certainly work those uh, into your lives if you so desire. You can also go to cleveland.com slash Browns or cleveland.com slash Bengals if you like either of those teams. Again, they're meeting on Sunday. And the text, 614-350-3315. I forgot this one about the Heisman from the 614. Not a full rant, but CJ isn't winning the Heisman. So he should decline any invite and any interview from ESPN after what Desmond Howard did to him last year. Don't do any interviews with them. Desmond clowned him on national TV. It was unprofessional. So ESPN can live without speaking to Ohio State's quarterback for the playoff. So, I mean, he's not going to decline the invite. Let the guy go to New York. Uh, I do think, I do think that was an inappropriate time to be partisan based on your school. Like that is not the Heisman is a celebration of college football. It is not rivalry time. So I thought Des, I thought that was inappropriate what Desmond did, and like nobody cares, nobody cares where media members went to school, and and I just he did like I like and, and I know it bothered Ohio State. I don't know if it bothered CJ, but on behalf of CJ, I know it bothered Ohio State. So um, just like be a pro about it, man. Just like be a pro, right? Celebrate these young men who are who worked all year and are at the peak of their sport, and like you're clowning people. It's just it's unprofessional. It really is. Like it's not, and nobody thinks it's funny. And you're not in that moment. You're not there to appeal to like a little tiny sliver, like one fan base. You're there to to appeal to all of college football. So appeal to all of college football. And if they can't do it, and whether it's Herbie or Desmond Howard or David Pollock or anybody else, if you can't disassociate yourself from your alma mater, then get somebody else. Get somebody who went to a college where they don't play Division One football or something. Like, like, don't, like, be cool, man. Like, it's not too much to ask. It's not about you. In that moment, it's not about you. So, like... I don't know. Like, if whatever CJ wants to do, but let him go to New York and have fun. If he wants to say I'm not talking to Desmond, I think that's fine. Portal questions. So the portal opened. It's open for, like, whatever it is, 40 days. All the portal rules now. But, like, a bunch of guys, like a th- 700 guys went in the portal or something on Tuesday. From the 814, I'm tired of protecting feelings on this team. We need to be more active in the transfer portal moving forward. We don't recruit five-star talent in the portal as we were scared of having transfers. And for what? Our defensive backs were average and struggled to stay healthy all year. Nobody should be safe on this roster moving forward. If Ryan Day wants to right the ship, he needs to start running this like a business. Offensive linemen, linebackers, defensive backs, defensive tackles, any and everyone. Rant over, Michael from PA. So um, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't. I think a little bit of that, at, at the very least, is not a terrible idea. And I do think so. Offensive tackle, we've talked about. There's this guy from Rhode Island who is has been in the portal for a little bit because he's an FCS guy. And so he's out there. I was looking at a list of like the best linemen. His name's Johnny Cornelius, but he's been out there for like a week because everybody knew he was going to go in. It's not the same as these the, the guys at the FBS level. So um, from Rhode Island, and he has offers for like from a bunch of schools because he's been tweeting them out as he gets them. Like Penn State might be the best one. 
does not not true to one out from Ohio State, but Ohio State offered that guy from Florida Atlantic, was it last year, late in the process when the Cowboys were scrambling for tackle? So I could see them being open to stuff. Uh, Tommy Brockenmeyer is a Bama guy who was a five-star. Uh, who Brockermeyer, Tommy Brockermeyer was a five-star. Ohio State really wasn't in on him in recruiting. People think he's going to wind up at Texas. He's a five-star Bama tackle in the portal. Doesn't play much at Bama. It doesn't feel like an Ohio State thing. So they'll be on the lookout. There's more guards and centers right now from what it looks like, like top-end guys, more top-end guards and centers. And I just, I don't think they're in the market for guards and centers, but I think they're in the market for tackles. There are two guys at corner that I think are worth mentioning. And I'm just connecting dots here. Oh, the Tama is in the portal. One-time Ohio State commit. Linebacker safety guy. Decommits, goes to Indiana because his dad's going to be a coach in Indiana. And his brother's going to play there. Then his dad, before Desan gets there, his dad leaves and goes to Notre Dame. And I said, like, all year, like, well, Desan's going to decommit and go to Notre Dame. So he, or not decommit, but transfer. So he's in the portal, but I'm pretty sure, like, he's going to go play with his dad. Like, he committed, he decommitted from Ohio State to go to Indiana to play with his dad, who's the running backs coach. Now his dad is at Notre Dame, which is a better school. And I was like, oh, when Ohio State played Indiana, I was like, oh, Desan McCullough, they're going to face him again next year when he's playing for Notre Dame. So people, some people ask, what about the Sam McCullough? It's like, I must, I'm just assuming he's going with family connections because that's what he did before. And then his family connections moved. So I would not count on the Sam McCullough. He's not one of the guys that I'm, I'm talking about. The two guys I'm talking about, one is Tony Grimes, who was a cornerback from North Carolina, who has played three years. He was an early enrollee and went in 2020. Um, five-star guy. Ohio State was in his final four along with Georgia and Texas A&M. Kerry Combs was his primary recruiter. And the reason Ohio State thought it had a chance back then is because of his relationship with Kerry Combs. So that has changed. But he is a guy that they got to know. Al Washington, Ryan Day, Kerry Combs were the guys who talked to him. So two of those three guys are gone. Ryan Day is here. He's a veteran corner, played a bunch of snaps, was third for North Carolina in snaps this year at corner. Um not a great PFF grade, but like he's a starting ACC corner that once upon a time was a top 100 recruit that Ohio State was super interested in, and he's in the portal. So if you think they could use help at corner, you just connect some dots, right? The other guy is J.Q. Hardaway, who was a pretty big-time recruit that Perry Eliano recruited to Cincinnati a year ago. And he picked Cincinnati over some bigger offers, and he picked it primarily because of Perry Eliano. The guy's he's from Alabama. And so Hardaway, like, seems like good reviews at Cincinnati this year. Didn't play a ton necessarily. Played some on special teams, I think. But Luke Fickle leaves, so he goes in the portal. And Eliano, obviously, is now Ohio State safeties coach. So Eliano knows him. And can he help? And he's down the road, like right to Alabama, but he's down the road now. So those are the two guys that have at least two guys at corner who have some Ohio State linkage that I think could make some sense from them. Justin Flo is another interesting guy, five-star linebacker from Oregon. He played against Ohio State. Was he? No, he was hurt for that game last year. He was hurt for that game too, just like Kayvon Thibodeau was. But he's a really good player. I just don't know if a guy from Oregon is going to come all this way. And there are so many quarterbacks in the portal, but like I just – you know, DJ Uyunglele is not coming here. That's not what Ohio State wants to do. They have Kyle McCord and Devin Brown ready to battle out to replace C.J. Stroud. But you think about the, the quarterbacks in the portal. 
These guys were starters or at least part-time starters for big-time teams this year. Now in the portal, Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State, Hudson Card at Texas, DJ Uyungle at Clemson, Devin Leary at NC State, Jeff Sims at Georgia Tech, Graham Mertz at Wisconsin, Keaton Slovis at Pitt, Austin Reeves at Western Kentucky, Haynes King at Texas A&M, Drew Pine at Notre Dame. Like there are, and Cade McNamara has already gone from Michigan to Iowa. So there are a million guys in the portal. I would imagine at least one or two of these winds up starting somewhere in the Big Ten next year. I'll be curious to see like where Graham Mertz ends up and could Ohio's like, could, could somebody get a player like DJ or Devin Leary, right? Devin Leary, NC State, he got hurt. He's a really good player. Uh, be curious to see how that goes, but it's, I, that's not where Ohio State's looking, but tackle and corner, be on alert. We'll try to keep you posted as we learn stuff there. Okay. Uh, a couple more things. Let's talk about, so I saved like the, some of the real nitty gritty football stuff. Um, again, we're sort of saving for later. Oh, two quick things about the pod from the 419. I've been saving this rant for a while, but here it comes. I listen to podcasts and audiobooks on two times speed. Everything except Buckeye talk. Doug. You talk so fast that I can't understand you in double time. I subscribe and listen to 12 podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis. And you are literally the only host that I have to slow down the speed for. Slow down a little, Dougie. So I will say I do try to talk fast because I want to have energy and I want to keep it going. And I'm actually like, if I, I think two times speed is too fast. So if the main complaint is that me at two times speed is too fast, then I'm okay with that. But I do talk, especially when I read the questions, I talk fast on purpose because I'm trying not to waste your time. I'm, why do you listen to it at two times speed? Because you're trying to get through your day. I am a living two times speed, right? You don't got to turn me up. I turn up myself. So that might be how it has to be. This is another really good one. From the 419. This isn't the same person, is it? This is so good. I think we got saved by the playoff seating from a very specific pain. For a long time, it looked like Ohio State versus TCU would be the matchup. And it has taken me four years to get over how many times TCU was said in the 2018 TCU preview pod. For who knows what reason, it was said what felt like multiple times per sentence, the entire episode long. Like, you may think TCU does X very well, and they do, but TCU has weaknesses too. Like the TCU secondary struggles in this look that TCU gets sometimes. I've held a grudge against Landis this entire time, and I have cringed at the word TCU ever since. It still makes my skin crawl to hear it. I hated the Horned Frogs and celebrated their losses for a couple years after that for no other reason than this. I was annoyed at Doug for it too, but since he stuck around, the annoyance I felt with him wore off a very long time ago. Landis left right afterwards, and that's been my unfortunate lasting memory of him on Buckeye Talk. A ridiculous rant, I know, but I've needed to feel heard about this for a long time. Thanks for indulging my ridiculousness. Hopefully you only find it amusing don't hold it against me like I've held this grudge against the great Bill Landis. I love that. Now, the reason that would happen is because 
Arkansas is long to say TCU, even though it's three syllables, Arkansas, TCU, same number of syllables. TCU in your mind as you read it seems short. It's easy to say TCU, TCU. So you say TCU a million times. I, I could I could absolutely hear myself saying that, and I think it's reasonable, but also it's ridiculous, Buckeye talk. So I'm sorry uh, that we did that to you, but I'm glad that we avoided it this time. But if that's what we get in the national championship game, you're out of luck. Let's do this. Um, there's a, So there's a lot of stuff about like feelings, and I will tell you that I actually was nervous today before doing this pod because I got a little feedback on Twitter and sometimes like I have to go, I don't have to go, but just the way the, uh, it works with the texts, it's an active choice to go into the text. They're not just on your screen, right? Where Twitter, I just have Twitter up cause I'm tweeting something and I see stuff. So I got at least a little feedback of like, how dare you suggest that we not still feel sad about the Michigan loss. And so I was nervous because I was worried the rants were all going to be like, stop explaining to us how to be fans. So I want to stop doing that. You guys can handle it any way you want. I just want you to enjoy your team the most you can enjoy it. So it comes from a good place, but I was worried that the rants pod was going to be everybody yelling at me and ranting, how dare you try to tell us to go with the Michigan loss? And then it actually wasn't that. So I, I, I literally was nervous about it all day because it's like I just... I don't want that to be the thing, but I also feel like I have to reflect what people are saying. It's why we do this pod. Some people like it, some people don't. So then it wasn't that. So so good. But I also, I understand everybody processes things differently, but we'll have a couple things that we'll get to a little bit later, but there's a couple football things that we're still going to get to first. Okay. From the 937, I am not angry at JSN for deciding it was in his best interest to shut it down. My rant is, can the coaching staff figure out how to get Jaden Ballard on the field in order to use his speed to open up some room for Emeka and Marvin to operate. I also want the game plan for Georgia to be 40 throws and 20 runs. So that's one question, and I'll pair it with this. Actually, it's a rant, not a question. From the 206, my rant. To have a chance versus Georgia, we need Julian Fleming to be the five-star we thought he was. With JSN out, I expect Georgia to sell out to stop Marvin. I haven't seen much from Fleming, and it's now or never. Also, it would be great if Travion is healthy and shows why he was a five-star as well. So I do think shots down the field, right? I think that's what we're talking about with Jaden Ballard, but I do think Julian Fleming can give you that. And we have seen Julian Fleming give Ohio State that at times this year. Could he, could he do it more consistently? That'd be great, right? But I do think they have that option. And I do think they have to take some shots. The thing that happens, I think, with them a lot is – People just play a coverage where they drop two safeties and they're dropping enough people. They're like, they're not going to let you take the shots. Now, you saw the one to Marvin against Michigan down the sideline. Really good. But that shot in the middle of the field, the play-action deep shot, I feel like some defenses have said, like, whatever we do, we're not going to allow that. So I do think individually, Georgia has some guys they can put out there. Right, We've talked about that. We're going to get in more to it. I'm not going to pretend I've watched every Georgia game a second time to figure this out yet. But if you're, if the point of this, whether you're talking about Jaden or Julian, is, man, I'd like to see some shots, right? Because we've seen Jul- Julian Fleming haul in a couple of those. I agree with that. And I do think they have to find a way to take them. And as much as I've always said you don't need a good run game for play action to work, I do think the better the run game is, the more dangerous the run game is. The thing about Chip Trainum against Michigan is I thought he did a really solid job, and they didn't lose because of the run game. But I don't know that the run game was dangerous, 
when you have a guy who's been playing linebacker most of the year as your main running back and a limited Mayan Williams, that the run game could be more dangerous. And again, it's not that you have to run it a ton, but the threat of it helps. The threat of it does help. And Nathan, I think, has talked a lot about the threat of it, the threat of it. I do believe in the threat of it. I just don't want them to ineffectively run into the line when you could just throw it. But in terms of getting the ball down the field, I do think if if Mayan and Trey are healthier, and certainly one of them, if not both, will be. This will be the I don't think there's any doubt this will be the healthiest the run game has been since they both ran for a hundred yards against Wisconsin. That could open up down the field, and I do think they need to take some of those. And I do think Julian can be the guy to do that. So I think that's a a reasonable uh, a reasonable thing to do and to think about. From the 573, I wanted to vomit when listening to Nick Saban make a case to be in the top four. Did he really think he had a chance? Where was Dabo's case? A two-loss conference champ. For the first time he had some class, Nick's makes me sick, his entitled way of thinking. So I think you do have to politic for your team. Uh, like you get why he's doing it. I don't know even that he believed it. But he was going to do it anyway. And he could do it because he wasn't playing. Dabo wasn't doing it because Dabo was playing. Dabo was trying to beat North Carolina, which he did. So Nick was just hanging out. So Nick had all the time in the world to talk. So that's why that happened. Um, Nick Saban, football genius, does he really think, oh, well, the biggest betting line is like, I didn't, come on. You can sort of tell how weak the argument was, which is why it was imaginary. It existed only in the mind of Nick Saban and in the TV ratings of the people who put him on the air. But it wasn't a real thing. He's a great coach. And I do just think in the end, you stand up for your guys, even if it makes you look silly. Right now, the idea like when Dabo voted Ohio State 11th, was that like standing up for his guys? Or was that like, well, I think this It's like, OK, I actually think it kind of hurt your guys because now you're you gave Ohio State bulletin board material because you were trying to make a point about the number of COVID games or whatever. Right. But but Nick, like there's no. There's no fallout for Nick other than people thinking Nick is silly, and he's fine with that. So, but no, it was never going to work. It was, it was certainly like it was certainly never going to work. Let's talk about Stetson Bennett, and I am. I'm gonna. I'm really gonna try to parcel this out because if I do it too much, I'm gonna drive myself and you nuts. Doug's impeccable Stetson, aka Val Kilmer, as Doc Holliday impersonation is the best thing about Stetson Bennett. On top of Stetson giving me more Baker Mayfield vibes than Baker Mayfield, he makes me want to bang my head up against a tombstone. He's more aggravating than a tick on a warthog's backside. He said, do that in the best Stetson impression voice. So uh, this, <laughs> saying Stetson's 25, he barely looks at the interviewer. This dude is surrounded by absolute units at every position that make him look way better than he is. Don't get me wrong. He's obviously good enough to be a college quarterback, but I feel like he's so overhyped. And I just want Tommy Two Thumbs to wipe that stupid grin off his face. Okay, I feel better. Thanks, JD. Is that what we're calling Tommy Eichenberg now is Tommy Two Thumbs? That is like, that's like the enforcer, right? Like in The Sopranos, like, hey, Tommy Two Thumbs, go take go take care of this, this, uh, this guy, this hedge fund, hedge fund manager from Athens. Oh, Tommy Two Thumbs will take care of him. Well, that's good. Like that's good, harmless sports fun, right? To be aggravated by the opposing team's quarterback. Um, here's one about the offensive coordinator I should have mentioned with Kevin Wilson. Rapid fire question: What do you think of the uh, offensive coordinator opening? Could it be filled by someone like Dan Mullen? 
this is why that would only make sense because, again, I said you're not going to get the best guy if he's not going to call plays. Dan Mullins in the New Hampshire Mafia. So Chip Kelly is from Manchester, New Hampshire, and Ryan Day is from Manchester, New Hampshire, and Dan Mullen is he from Manchester? Is he from another place? He's from uh, Played at Your Sinus. Why do I think he's in the Manchester? Oh, yeah. He's he's in the Manchester Mafia. He's in the New Hampshire Mafia, too. Same high school. Trinity High School in Manchester. So um, then he went to college in Pennsylvania. He didn't go to UNH like Ryan did, where Ryan went and played for Chip. So, like, that relationship, to get a guy, right, you need – that's why Greg Schiano came here. Now, Greg Schiano came – and was calling plays defensively, but he had a relationship with Urban. So Dan Mullen is currently a broadcaster, the fired coach at Florida. If he came here because he kind of wanted to get back in it, but he didn't want to have to, you know, like that I don't think is 1,000% impossible because I don't know what Ryan Day and, and Dan Mullen's relationship is, but they're both from New Hampshire, so it means something. So I probably should know that better. But Dan is also Urban's guy. I mean, that's the whole thing. Dan was with Urban at Bowling Green, and Dan was with Urban at Florida, at Utah. Dan was with Urban everywhere. So Dan is like Urban's guy, but knows Ryan because they're they're part of the New Hampshire coaching group. So I, I don't think that would be 1,000% impossible. I think a lot of this stuff, again, you guys can figure this stuff out as, as well as anybody. You just start putting two and two together. Who's unemployed? Who used to have a good job? And who knows somebody? It's like, okay, well, you can you can take part in the coaching carousel. Uh, let's see. This is a Georgia distraction question. Rant, everyone is talking about revenge against Michigan, but no one is talking about the fact that Ohio State will have to beat the defending national champs, Georgia, to even get that chance. Georgia is a great team with very few weaknesses. I am hoping the players do not get distracted the way the fans are about a rematch with Michigan and overlook Georgia, as I am not sure we can beat Georgia if we play flawless even. So that's not going to happen. Like that's not, that would not be a thing. Like this is, this is the, like a great team to play. You, you can't, everybody knows that you, you like, right. This is one of those with like, Oh, well, you don't want to look ahead to Michigan and, and overlook Indiana. Nobody is looking, overlooking the number one undefeated defending national champions because your rival might be next. So worth saying. And I actually, I don't, I actually don't think that is not the vibe that I've necessarily gotten from the fans either. I think a lot of people are like, ay, 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 Georgia, which I think is good. I think that's a, a good thing to think. So worth saying, don't think it's an issue. From the 513, I have three mini rants. First, Steve Davis on the ESPN broadcast, having the audacity to say nobody has gotten the benefit of the doubt more than Ohio State as an Alabama grad is absurd. I can't seem to find any evidence of him comparing, complaining when 2017 Alabama lost to Auburn, sat at home on conference championship weekend, and then leapfrogged two teams who lost their conference championship games. So the thing, I did think that was an odd thing for Reese Davis to say, because you can cite like Ohio State got the benefit of the doubt in 14. Yes, they did. We all know that. They won 59 nothing. They jumped from 5-4. to four. TCU gets left out. 15, they finished 7th. They only had one loss. They were one of the four most talented teams, but nobody was politicking to get Ohio State in as an undefeated, excuse me, as a one-loss non-champ then just because they had a bunch of NFL guys. So, like, I don't think they should have gotten the benefit of the doubt then, but maybe somebody make a case, well, they could have. 2016, they did get the benefit of the doubt. They did. They were a non-champ. 
but they got in ahead of Penn State. They did get the benefit of the doubt. 17 and 18, they did not. So that's 17 and 18, they're on the cusp, especially 17. 17, they finished five. 18, they finished six. They think, especially 17, but even a little bit 18, they think they have a chance on Selection Sunday they don't get in. So that's two benefit of the doubt, two non-benefit of the doubt. 19, they're clearly in. He, like, made a case about 2020 as, like, a COVID team, but, like, I don't know. Like, they were undefeated and pretty clearly in, and they went and beat Clemson. I I don't really count that one as much of a, as a benefit of the doubt thing. And then I guess this one, they get the benefit of the doubt, but like against who? So I actually think when it comes to real benefit of the doubt, where it could have gone either way, I think they're two and two. They got it in 14 and 16. They didn't get it in 17 and 18. So I did think that was an odd thing to say. Because the whole thing that I've said a million times is nobody's been on the razor's edge more than Ohio State. They've still never been number one. They've never been lower than seven. So in nine years of the playoff, they've been between two and seven. So you're in, I mean, you're in the mix every single time, but it's not like they constantly get a lean. I don't know. They've made it five out of nine. I thought it was an odd thing to say. Second, the amount of fans who have completely turned on Jackson Smith and Jigba is disgraceful. We're all upset he's not playing, but to spew hateful comments to and about him on social media is too much. Agreed. I, I don't know how many fans have. There's, there's, there's always some fans that will do anything. You know, you could find some fans to say, I can't believe the number of Ohio State fans that are out getting porcupines as pets for Christmas. It's unbelievable. The rash of fans buying porcupines are capturing them in the wild and giving them to their children as pets for a holiday present is ridiculous. You'd say, what is wrong with those fans? It might be three people. So there's always somebody doing something. I wouldn't recommend it. I don't think it's fair to the player. He's a young man. He's hurt. Third, with Kevin Wilson leaving and there being complaints that the current staff doesn't prioritize beating Michigan as much uh, as they have before, I have just the solution. It's time to reach into the NFL and pry a certain Detroit Lions offensive assistant and give him a role at Ohio State. Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to reintroduce Ohio State offensive assistant Joseph Thomas Barrett IV. I do not think that is a terrible idea. There's lots of people who are like quality control like grad assistant kind of jobs. I think JT Barrett would be qualified for that. No doubt. I would, I would, I'd call him tomorrow. And you're going to have, right? I mean, Riley Jeffers left. He was that for the running backs room. Uh, stuff might be shuffling. If Keenan Bailey gets a bump up, that would be an opening, right? You There's move stuff around. I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm for, and I've already said this, we said on the Michigan pod, I'm for like adding some people like that to the building. And, it can't be that your only qualification is that you hate Michigan, right? But if you have other qualifications, like you're currently on an NFL staff in a lower level job, but you're interested in it. You were a great leader and a captain when you were here. You're a tough, smart person. And by the way, you know what's up with Michigan. Well, what a bonus it is. JT Barrett coming down. I'm... I'm I don't think there's any part of that that sounds illogical to me. Now, those jobs are like gold, right? Everybody wants those jobs. But I also would put, you know, the former starting former starting quarterback pretty high, uh, pretty high on the list here. Okay, um, let's see. One of these. Sorry, Doug. I am again rantless. I am thankful for another year of great Ohio State football, the college football playoff spot, and I'm eager to see how the Buckeyes stack up against Georgia from the four one two. You're always allowed to send in a rant. No rant. Uh, here's a weird one about paper towels that I don't even quite understand. 
a nonsense rant to take the pressure off a little bit from the 512. Am I the only one who hates the restroom paper towels that are on a roll that you pull down from the middle? They never tear at the perforation, so you end up pulling three feet of towel down, and they always come out crinkled. It takes forever to unfold them just to wipe my hands, uh, just to ball it back up and then throw it in the trash. Can we all just agree the trifold paper towels are the best option? I actually do think it is worthwhile to try to just use air because air is plentiful. And I do think it's a pain. I also think we should all come around on the idea of wiping your hands on your pants. Maybe in every situation, even if it's like ketchup or mustard or mayonnaise, but especially if it's just water, I don't think you should be scared of coming out with wet pants because it's like, I didn't want to use up paper. That's trees. I like trees. And like the dryer thing didn't get my hands dry enough. I like the the hand dryer where you put your hands down in, right? Where there's like from both sides and, it, and almost like you can feel like your the skin being sucked off your hands. That really dries them out. I like those. But the paper towels, like sometimes it's difficult no matter what. But I do agree with the trifold is better than the perforation. I don't know. There's a lot of, perfor- there's a lot of perforation left. Is that kind of an old timey thing? But the trifold's better. But I do. When in doubt, I mean, don't we... Most people wear pants, right? Buckeye talk. Most people wear pants. Wipe your hands there. Running backs. Day needs to trust the running backs that we've leaned on all year for the playoff versus Georgia. Mine and Dallin need to be the featured backs. I don't know or care the snap count split. We should not rely on Trey to carry, or no, train him, chip train him to carry the load, even though he was effective versus Michigan. Can't have another halfback toss to train him, get stopped short on a critical down. I can live with Mayan or Dallin getting stopped if it happens, but we got to ride with them. Garrett in the 4-4-0. It maybe should have affected them. In an ideal world, it should have affected them less than it did. And again, I was out on running ineffectively, and I didn't think that they were going to get to running effectively with the way things were going. So I was all for throwing. I do think it is possible that healthy, healthier at the very least, possibly just flat healthy versions of Mayan Williams and or Travion Henderson with bowl prep Dallin Hayden mixed in could create a change in the running game that fundamentally changes the Ohio State offense for Georgia. That that makes, I think we've argued at times, did we argue that the offense is best performance this year? was against Wisconsin. I think that healthy running backs could help them get back to that. And that is not to excuse the offensive struggles at times along the way. 539 total yards against Wisconsin, 258 rushing, 281 passing, 21 for 121 for Trey, 11 for 101 for Mayan. 8 for 31 for Dallin, kind of a mop-up duty. I think that a version of that is what you could see if they're healthy. I just think they got out of rhythm. I think it affected how Ryan Day thought about the play calling, and I think it all was a little bit of a rolling downhill situation that wasn't great for anybody. And I, and I think there's a chance that it's like significantly better. I think there's a chance it's significantly better. All right. Last couple rants. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, it's Doug. All right, let's try this one. From the 614, first-time tech subscriber and texter here. Welcome. This rant comes from a conversation I had with my sister 
I am very excited for the playoff, and she's down on it because she doesn't think we're tough enough. She lived through the worst of the Cooper era, while I only suffered through the end. I began watching in 96. I'm firmly of the belief that losing to Michigan will never matter again after next year. I don't care about it anymore. Of course, I'd love to beat them, but if we lose to Michigan for the next 10 years and can win a couple national titles, I'd take that every time. She firmly disagrees, thinks that game means more than anything, and thinks I'm in the minority. But I'm also more of an NFL fan. I think the NFLization of college football is a good thing, and in time, people will come to my side. Am I nuts? No, I don't think either of you are nuts. As long as you can like sort of come around to some form of general happiness about your team by the time they get to the playoff, which I think is the healthiest thing, I'm fascinated by potentially the generational who was the coach you – who was the coach and what was the Michigan situation when you became an Ohio State fan? How that affects your view I find fascinating, and I have to find a way to survey that. But I think think if you're open to the NFLization, that means you're open to like no single loss is devastating anymore against anybody. And I, I think I am open to the NFLization with a caveat for the rivalry game. That that will still hurt no matter what. I think that regular season game, no matter what, really, really, really still matters. And it's a thing I talked about with Nathan the other day. Two paths, right? They can converge and diverge. Sometimes at the same path. Often they're not. One is the rivalry game for the rivalry's sake. And the other is what the rivalry game means for the rest of your goals and the rest of your season. And so the idea that the Michigan game may not matter for the other goals, I think, is going to become very true. The idea that the Michigan game won't matter for the sake of the rivalry, just for its own sake, I disagree with that. Because I think on that Saturday, everybody's really going to want to win on the field and in the stands. But I think there's a way to get to – but I I am fascinated by – Maybe the different viewpoints. Not that it's even a split, just the different viewpoints there. Um, I, I really wa- I, I really want to delve into that. Let's do new texter. Man, another new texter from the 614. First time ranter. There is too much negativity amongst the fan base of a team who's in the stinking playoff. Ohio State is one of four teams that can win the national championship, and yet the attitude seems to be worse than it was when they didn't think when they didn't make it last year. Yes. Losing Jackson Smith and Jigba thinks stinks, but he was hurt. He didn't quit on the Buckeyes. Kevin Wilson leaving, that means Brian Hartline is likely to stay on his OC. Yes, the Michigan game hurts, but you get the ultimate chance for redemption. It was a gift to make the playoff, but sometimes you need a gift in life. C.J. Stroud has at least one more game here. Enjoy it. This team got a second chance. It's certainly preferable to having to wait until November for most Ohio State fans to be happy. 128 teams in the SBS. And the FBS would love to have the chance that we have. Let's get some positive energy here because while it isn't perfect, the Buckeyes are right where they needed to be. Nothing matters except Georgia and perhaps a rematch. It's like Ohio State fans sometimes can never be happy. Enjoy this rare underdog opportunity that we Buckeye fans never get to play. Anyways, enjoy the show. Let's lighten up around here. So you don't have to agree with that, but I think it's a good message. From the 863. Chad, this was my answer to Ohio State making the playoffs on Sunday, and I think it will make for a really good rant as well. I like Ohio State's chances in the playoff against these teams. If we get past Georgia, then we will definitely beat Michigan and or TCU. I really want a historic Ohio State-Michigan game, and more than anything else, I want Ohio State to rip away everything that Michigan worked so hard for. The way I get over this Michigan loss is if the Ohio State is the one to take away all of their happiness and joy. 
I want to take away everything that Michigan thought was theirs. I am 29, almost 30, and I've lived in Michigan almost my whole life. I currently live in Florida, but I'm about to move back to Michigan in the coming months. So almost all of my close friends and family are fans of Michigan. With that being said, almost every single person I know that is a fan of Michigan is dreading any sort of rematch with the Buckeyes. Thanks for letting me rant. Longtime listener of the pod. That's Chad. Another good thought, Chad. That idea, that opportunity, like, right, you take it away from Michigan. That'd be that'd be crazy, man. Uh, let's do this one from the 614, living in the 615. Ryan Day often cited playoff berth as a new lease on life over the weekend. Ryan Day said this is a new lease on life. To me, people say new lease on life with the intent of not repeating history and how you've done things, but to make changes and alter the course of where things were before that event changed. I've been a day supporter from the beginning and have defended him through the Michigan debacle. However, he needs to put his money where his mouth is and show that he is willing to change to be successful, given this gift of another game. If he does not, and it's more of the same, poor situational play calling, clock execution, etc., then we are headed for the dreaded culture discussion and perhaps a need to put him on the hot seat next year and fast. Come on, Ryan, take advantage of what you just got a new lease on life. This is kind of related to that from the 585. My rant is about my feelings. I can't help but not get over the Michigan loss. I can tell myself how exciting it is the playoff appearance is coming, and I badly want to get excited about the appearance, but I just can't shake that dull sadness. In all our playoff appearances, I have never felt like this. And I just hope that what Steven said on the pod about needing a couple more weeks away from it to heal comes true. I also hope that the players use the nobody believes in us motivation to its maximum potential. That's Dan and Raleigh. I do think they're going to do that. I think we're going to like, they're going to know the, they're, the thing is there are going to be people who believe in them. I, I'll be really curious by the time we get to the game and everybody like nationally is making their picks. I do think like 30 or 40% of the people are going to pick Ohio state to win. Um, but I, I understand um, that the players, they're going to use Nobody Believes in Us like crazy. From the 804. Honestly, I can't really rant about much. JSN? Sure, I'm disappointed, and I hoped he'd play, but was never optimistic. The fact that we got in the playoff? Wow. What a difference a week makes and has basically had me smiling since it was announced yesterday. Matchup with Georgia in Atlanta? Awesome. We've, we'd have to beat them at some point anyway. Plus, if we do, and I don't care how confident Michigan fans are or pretend to be, you know they're crapping their pants if we beat Georgia and have an opportunity to avenge that loss a month and a half later, and we win the championship at the same time. I love it. So I like the idea of uh, people smiling at the thought of these things. Um, let's see. This one's on the other side. The other side gets its voice, too, from the 419. Tired of you guys. Losing to Michigan is a gut punch that's very difficult to deal with. You guys are not fans. You are writers looking in from the outside. That is true. I just am uh, hopeful that all Ohio State fans can enjoy their team. That's all. Uh, there's a couple others that people just think like that That there can be a toxicity. There can be uh, too much negativity. That was expressed certainly more than than the other side, than the the like the I'm still upset. That's the only thing that matters. That was not a huge part of the rant. So a lot of it more was like, hey, seize the opportunity kind of things. Don't be overly negative in the situation. That was definitely conveyed by a lot of people. This is from Darren in Sturgis, Michigan. Why are my fellow fans jumping off a bridge? Because Michigan hit five big plays. Michigan deserved to win that game and be number two. But I really believe we're the better team in the end. And we'll show that in the playoff. We were built to face Georgia in a dome. 
Our chances of winning it all are much higher than Michigan. We planned our offense around JSN this season and had to figure it out as we went. Now Day has a month to scheme knowing exactly what he has. Quit panicking. Okay. Almost ready to wrap this up. Let's do this. Last one. Matt from Skokie. Here's a hot take. The worst thing to happen to Ohio State fans was Urban Meyer raising the bar. You ask why a plurality of texters, including me, said they only feel good about the program right now as opposed to great or amazing or whatever. It's because expectations are so high. Every game is expected to be a blowout. Anything else is a failure. When you expect perfection, you can never be pleasantly surprised. You either meet expectations or are disappointed. I love Ohio State football, but I have probably gotten more enjoyment on Sundays this fall watching Justin Fields lead a terrible 3-10 Bears team than I have on Saturdays watching the 11-1 Buckeyes. If the Bears put up a good fight and have a shot at winning and Justin has a few dazzling plays, it can be kind of fun. And when they actually do win, it's thrilling, even though it means nothing in the end. With the Buckeyes, we either win in a boring blowout, as expected, we win but not in a convincing enough fashion, or we suffer a devastating loss. I do think some of the blame falls on the media for creating unrealistic expectations. By the way, I'm not sure every outlet doing bold predictions is healthy for fans, as it just raises the bar even further, but that's another rant. I wish that being the underdog against Georgia would alleviate this for the moment, but being an underdog in one game doesn't magically wipe away expectations of a perfect season. Instead, I dread the thought of losing and more noise about how we're overrated and didn't deserve to get in. So that is a good rant from the 847. That's honest, I think, right? Expectations can be wonderful, but they absolutely can be a burden. And so um, I do think that... Oh, here's the one more I wanted to do. Doug, here's my rant from the 513. I know you have said in the pod we should be excited that they're back in the playoff, but I don't think we as fans should be just glad we are here. What are we, a Big 12 team? They should be here. They should be playing in Arizona. They shouldn't have played so scared against Michigan. Looking at you, Ryan Day, they shouldn't have scored four points in the second half of the game. Fair or not, a national championship is what you should be doing at Ohio State. So I am not excited just because they are in. But being the kind of fan I am, if they beat Michigan in the final game and lift the trophy, I will run around outside my house screaming. You got the chance. Don't squander it. That's Scott in the 513. So about expectations and that Urban Meyer raised them. In the five years of the playoff era when Urban Meyer was the head coach, and this, you know, well, I mean, 12 and 13 wasn't the playoff era, but it was since then. So, so with Urban, five years of the playoff, two playoff appearances for Ohio State. Under Ryan Day, four years of the playoff, three playoff appearances. The last four years, number of playoff appearances by school in the last four years since Ryan Day took over. Ohio State, three. Clemson, Alabama, Michigan, and Georgia, two. LSU, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, and TCU, one. So in terms of raising expectations, by the end of the urban era, I, there were a lot of people having discussions about, you know, and again, I don't love the, fr- the 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 phrasing of these discussions either. Like, was it a failure if they didn't win a national championship? And it's like, listen, Ohio State was really good under Urban Meyer. But they didn't win the national championship under him after 14. They made the playoff in 16. They didn't make it in 17 or 18, and then he was gone. And they blew it in 15 when they had a super talented team, and they lost the game they couldn't lose. So two playoff appearances in five years. Now it's three and four. And in this, since Ryan Day took over as a head coach, Ohio State has more playoff appearances than anybody. 
So the idea of why should we celebrate being in, I don't know. Maybe that backs that up. It's like, well, of course they're in. They're always in. They get in the playoff more than anybody else. But then the other thing is like, oh, Urban raised expectations. We can't meet them. Well, in that way, you're surpassing expectations. So the thing in the end to me is like, realize how good you are. Don't, don't, don't forget or not be aware. Like, did you know that in the Ryan Day era, they had more playoff appearances than anybody? That they're not tied with Bama or Clemson or Georgia or Michigan. They're ahead. They have the most three out of four, right? I don't, did you, did you know that? You don't have to. It's not your job. It's my job to know that, to tell you that. But maybe you can take that in and have that affect what you think. Um, it'd be great to win a national championship. We are in an era of Alabama dominance, and now Georgia is rising up. And so winning national championships is hard. I do think one of the things that I am on alert for is you sort of talk about storylines uh, for this Ohio State-Georgia game. Like Ryan Day is like – Kirby Smart was Ryan Day, like – going into last year that Ryan day is now uh, as the head coach in the four years is 42 and five uh, Kirby smart in his first four years was 12, 36, 44 and 12. And it was like, yeah, Kirby Smart, like he's good, but he can't get over the top, right? He was eight and five, 13 and two, 11 and three, 12 and two, eight and two, with a national championship game loss in his second year. And that was their only playoff appearance. And that was in his first five years. And then year six, they won the national title. And then year seven, he's back in the playoff. So Ryan Day is in year four and has three playoff appearances, has a national title loss. And is like, hey, like, when's the next thing? Now, the Michigan loss is different. Kirby didn't have a rival like that. They're not worried about losing to Georgia Tech, right? So that's different. And, of course, we've covered how important the Michigan game is to everybody at Ohio State and to how Ryan Day is viewed. But um, I certainly thought that. I remember doing a playoff, like a, a coaching ranking going into 2020. When I was like, ah, I don't know, Kirby Smart, right? And then it's like, oh, no, Kirby Smart. So you want to be trending the right way. But... Just remember, like, you can sort of change the perception like that in a month. And so this next month's really important for Ohio State. Think about the difference of, like, the three possible results. The weirdest result is a national championship game lost to TCU. Everything else would, would at least fit into the picture, right? Lose to Georgia. You're done. You lost the defending national champion. Maybe you were close. Maybe you got blown out, but you lose to Georgia. There's beat Georgia, and then you play Michigan, and then you beat Michigan or lose to Michigan, right? So it's you got there, you got the second chance, did you take it or not against your rival? It would be weird to beat Georgia. And I guess be, beat Georgia and beat TCU is like they won the national championship. So that would be okay too. Beat Georgia, lose to TCU would be like the weirdest thing. So obviously this really matters. Um, but I think Kirby Smart is a good example of and, – and of course it's one of those things that's like – then you go back and people are like, well, how dare you ever say that? It's like, well, you said it because he hadn't done it. So that was my opinion of him based on the facts and the results. And then he added facts and results that were different. And then my opinion changed. That's kind of how it's supposed to work. So I'm not saying that you're wrong to have whatever opinion you have about Ryan Day right now. But of course, it might change in a month or it might not. It might be reinforced. I don't know. Okay. Try to have fun. This felt, this was more fun. I was really nervous. I was. This is this was good. This was more. This was fun again, right? It's fun. So we have stuff coming up. Tissue's going to be on 
for kind of a numbers pod, digging in like from like his power rankings and that kind of thing. We want to talk about these uh, high state Georgia plus Michigan TCU a little bit too. talk about like sort of like inside the numbers, a little bit of that. We'll have a rapid fire coming up. So we'll be with you guys. We'll keep you posted. We'll keep writing at cleveland.com slash OSU. Nathan is going to New York this weekend for the Heisman announcement with uh, CJ Stroud. So he'll have live coverage from there at cleveland.com slash OSU. So, and if you want the text, that's a great time to have the text because Nathan's like, hey, I'm in New York and CJ Stroud just got a hot dog. Bing, bang, boom. I mean, how could you not know that? 614-350-3315. Thanks to you guys for making Buckeye Talk part of your week. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.